Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. You hear her every Sunday, 10 a.m. Eastern, right here on Sirius XM Urban View. She is the master teacher of civics, all things civics. She also is a tech person. She is a tech maven. I'm going to put her in that space as well. Let me welcome to the show. Joy Williams. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thanks for coming. Oh, also Brooklyn NAACP president. Let me just give you all your Yeah, I have a lot of hats. Your... Yeah, a lot of hats. And forgive me if you hear little people in the background. I am uh, in my basement. They, you know, where you go, the children want to go. Yes. Um, and since it's a holiday, they are here and they're Ooh, going. It's, not, they're, it's noisy. How many do you have? Yeah. Right now, three. Okay. Three. All right. So I invited you on actually to talk about the cheering, the cheering. Um, for, and I want, uh, there's several entry points. First of all, we have not one, but two trials with race at the foundation. We just came off of George Floyd summer. Breonna Taylor is still on everyone's mind. Uh, at least those of us who are sentient in uh, human beings. And I watched um, Colin in black and white on Netflix. And today I got up at like three o'clock in the morning and watched, well, I'm not finished with it yet. Cause then I fell, fell asleep for, I'll talk about that tomorrow. I watched passing on Netflix, which I don't think a lot of people are going to watch. I hope they do, but I don't think they will. Uh, but I brought you on cause I wanted to talk about foster, fostering parenting in this current era. I don't know how our parents did it. I think our parents just checked out and was like, let's not talk about this. So we had a generation of let's not talk about this, but we're going to give you the talk with, you know, how to drive, put your hands to the two and all this, but we're not really going to talk about race. We're going to just forge forward. We're going to send you to good schools. You're going to put your head down. You're going to be excellent. And then they're going to accept you. That didn't happen. So not only now do we have an issue with how we navigate race with our children, but we also have on a force to not even want us to talk about it in schools. So today, uh, many of you know, I teach at Hunter College. This has nothing to do with journalism, but it has everything to do, do with journalism. I um, talked about Colin in black and white, and I talked about that episode where he talks about Romare Bearden. So I pulled up Romare Bearden's picture, shared my screen, and I said, is this, uh, this is a black man. And everybody looked confused. Uh, this class uh, has two African-American women in it, but they weren't present today. So I have, you know, students from Ireland. I have a student from Costa Rica. I have a student from, what is it, Ajib, I can't even, Kazakhstan. Uh, you know, I have Hispanics. I have, you know, nobody thought that Romare Bearden was a black man. And I gave his bio. Oh, okay. So because he was in Harlem, maybe he assumed the culture. This is this is how they're trying to reconcile what their eyeballs are clearly not. So I said, race is a made-up construct. In America, Romare Bearden is black. And here's why. And I gave them the history of the 132nd rule and, you know, the status of the child following the status of the mother. So I said, we're, we're going to learn about race in this class as long as I'm teaching it. Uh, but I want you as journalists to challenge and question everything, even what your eyes see and find out. Like, why is Romare Bearden black? Like, why? And let's come to some conclusions. So I just want to welcome in as well. Uh, L. Joyce here. And April's been here many, many times. She, of course, has a podcast 
where she talks about it. You can follow her at June and April. Uh, June, Raised in April is the podcast. Born in June, Raised in April. Let me welcome April Dinwoody. Hello. Hi. Good to be back. Nice to see you. Good to Hear see you. you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Okay. Um, I'm gonna start with Elle Joy because she got a house full of children, and I love the laughter and the and the noise of children. It, it makes my heart warm. Um, <laughs> listen, listen. When I remember when you decided to uh, take in London, I remember your journey with Miss London. That's how far back. And I know you you've been on the show to talk about you know having trying to have a child of your own. What's been the most? Why do you foster children? Well, we started out, um, my husband and I doing it in, like you mentioned, it was a family member, right? It's just like, I'm not going to let the system take a family member. Like, you know, we're perfectly healthy and able to do so. We're going to take the trip in. And, you know, part of the process, if you become foster for a family member, is that you have the opportunity to keep your license open. You hear them in the background. <laughs> is to keep your, because you have to get licensed to foster, even if you're a family member. Um, and we decided to keep our license open um, to allow the space for more children to you know, come in our home because we were able to do so. Now, I happen to come from a family and a background who, you know, there were foster parents in my family. Majority of them did so after they retired and they were older Black women. Um, and so it never dawned on me about being a foster parent, like at a younger age, it was like, oh, that's something I can do in retirement. And then going through the process and being in the agency one and seeing so many black and brown kids in a fo the foster care system and two only seeing seniors in that role was like, well, there should be more younger parents, younger foster parents, you know, in our, you know, late 20s or 30s or 40s that can provide homes and some stability because the children that end up being in foster care are there for a variety of reasons. Some of them legitimate, some of them not, <laughs> you know, and so there are a number of reasons why people enter this and why not be a place of safety, of love. And as you mentioned, being able to, you know, hear the sounds of kids playing, you know, it's kind of comforting to be like, I can do my work here and talk to Karen Hunter while the kids over there are fighting because one of them is breaking crayons. But, um, just don't, <laughs> you know, just don't okay. let them shoving up the nose because that's an urgent care visit that you, <laughs> I'm sure, don't have time. Look, and then they want to be on the camera. One of them has to be a Leo. One of them has to be a Leo. 866-801-8255. Eljoy Williams is here. Uh, April Dinwoody, uh, you were adopted. Um, you were a child adopted. And I, and I wanted to have this conversation with you since I finished watching uh, Colin in Black and White on Netflix because I'm like, oh, I think April was raised in an all-white environment, all-white town. Uh, how yes. do you, you know, with different hair and different, you know, skin tone and, you know, navigating that, when you did you you watched it? I'm assuming you definitely watched Oof, it. Okay. Did I? Was Had it to take it in doses though. It was triggering. Uh activating. Absolutely. It um, is very in line with the experiences I had. I just I was the cheerleader. I didn't go on to <laughs> get paid professionally to do that, but I was the cheerleader versus the the football player. But it's so similar to the experiences that that I had, and it, it was activating. It did bring back a lot of realities, but I, you know, you know, based on the podcast and the other conversations we've had, 
I'm, I'm in deep relationship to that complexity on the regular versus my first probably 17 years of my life. I was in absolute separation from that, the realities of that. I had to go and be in it. So when I'm in it on the regular, it's less activating than it would be to see that, but it's, it's activating nonetheless, but it's deep and it's speaks to so much, um, of what people don't know and recognize that we shoulder as black and brown persons raised in all white, majority white environments. It's so often physically, emotionally, and psychologically unsafe. There's um, some bullying going on in Utah. I'm going to talk about that story later. A 10-year-old actually committed suicide. A 10-year-old black girl uh, after being harangued and harassed in Utah, which has, uh, I think, 1% black population. Beyond, you know, you being adopted into a white family, there are people who move into neighborhoods because they want to provide better schools and better this and better that, mm-hmm. better, better, better for their children. But really, they're in, putting them into trauma because as I'm watching uh, Colin's parents, who I know they loved him, Colin, I know that, but to Eljoy's point, our, the system is inundated and, and overrun with us, but we're not necessarily, it's grandma and them taking in the children. We're not actually, I think, stepping up uh, as much as we should to make sure our children have community and have homes. So, you know, as I'm watching, you know, some well-meaning, and I think about Amy Coney Barrett, I think about uh, Mayor Romney, I think about John McCain, you know, all who have adopted brown children and black children, and and, and they almost have them, uh, Sandy Bullock, jo- Angelina Jolie, Charlize okay. Tarr- you know, and these are celebrities and, and people who are wealthy, but it's mm-hmm. almost like an, a, a, you know, like a, a earring or piece Accessory. of jewelry. Yeah, exactly. How do we... It, it, and- it, it, well, it, so it speaks to so many things. One, it's um, there is an over-representation of Black children in the foster care system, full stop. 22% of the 122 children right now in foster care that are what we call, listen to the language, freed for adoption, okay? Institutionalized racist language in all of the systems, emancipated from foster care. So let's just say that these systems in and of themselves are riddled with evidence of there being um, uh, a a disconnect to the realities. And then you have well-meaning, amazing parents like mine, who two things can be true at the same time, many things can be true at the same time. My parents loved me. They also adopted me and kept doing white things because that's what they knew. They had no idea at all on how to make the space for my my body, my hair, my spirit, my heart, but they loved me. And it is a contradiction and, and, and one thing that today, you know, working to unravel and undo that is part of my, you know, part of the, the focus of, of what I do both in systems and in specifically in families to say, you can do this, but you've got, your mind's got to be open and you have to act and it has to be urgent. Yeah, I urges. think yeah. I was just Karen, thinking about the number 866-801-8255 if there's anyone out there fostering please I know you're trying to get in before the kids start acting up again or not acting up acting like children uh Eldroy no, Williams is children. here a- exactly April Din- Dinwoody is here go ahead Eldroy I'm sorry you know one of the aspects you know just I had never thought about that April just in terms of the language that we use in terms of foster care that are so similar to uh previous 
you know, to slavery, right? Emancipated, freed, you know, sort of put up for adoption. Put up up for adoption. Yeah. I never, like, that never clicked um, to me just now until you said it. But the other thing that's really important is that for a lot of that overrepresentation of people of color, young people of color in foster care is also because of poverty. Right. And, you know, that's something that my husband and I are very mindful of as we are fostering, you know, uh, children. A lot of the times their children are taken because, oh, well, you know, they can't provide food for them or they're homeless or that they was like and then they give us as the foster parents money and resources to actually care for the child. Right. So it's like. So why not just, if the issue is, because some of the things they do, Karen, is even when they do site visits at our home, they come, they want to open the refrigerator and the cabinets. Do you have enough food? Well, if I am a young mom under the age of, you know, 22, I'm working a minimum wage job, am am I going to be like, you know, my cabinets and refrigerator always going to be stocked like I go to Costco every other week, or are we going to have exactly what we need for the next couple of days? Because that's how I can survive. And yes, my children eat. I may not have, you know, cabinets full of things, but they eat, right? And so instead of giving me as the foster parent additional resources, be it WIC, be it um, food stamps, be it other, all of those things, to you've now created trauma by taking the kid out of their home from their parents, from their family. Why not just give the extra resources to the birth well, parent? Because if well, you notice, this is all the thing they need. Well, Eljoy Williams, April, I know you want to jump in because I want to, I want to parrot something that you hear. Well, my taxpayer, you shouldn't have had the child if you couldn't take care of them. And why should my taxpayer dollar go to supplement you and your poor choices and poor planning and I hear what you're saying, but you are providing, you're, you're doing something extra, Eljoy, in taking a child in. Um, I, I don't think my taxpayer dollar should go. I'm not, this is not Karen talking, but I've heard this. April. Well, well, when it really gets sharp and really touches you in a way is when a young person in one of my foster care mentoring programs says to you, Hey, April, my foster parent gets money for me, right? My mom's just poor. Why can't you give my mom the money she can parent me? When a young person tells you that and knows it and has internalized it, then it hits you in a different way because they know, young people know, these young people who are saying, now, to also be clear, there are some parents that cannot, with all the resources, properly, safely, in earnest, parent their children. That is a true story. More often than not, there are probably ways to support those individuals, many of them, to be able to parent with support. All that we give to post-adoption services, we give to stipends, tax uh, tax um, uh, refunds, right? Um, all of that, if you put all of that into the matrix, you would have far more children that can stay in their families of origin, right, with the support but we would just much rather amputate children from one family system and graft them onto another. We would much rather do that because we tend to fancy this idea of a a family that has more means or looks a different way is going to be a better parent. It is so deeply Mm. sinister and um, it's really hard to deconstruct because it's been hardwired into how we do child welfare. Now things are trying to, we're trying to change those things, but it is deeply hardwired into how we do child welfare in this country. 
Uh, today's Veterans Day as well. We'll talk about that. Uh, but I wanted to st- spend some time in this space because to Eljoy's, uh, excuse me, to April's point, emancipation, putting up for adoption, freeing people, you know, I, I, I've been reading now because of Dr. Gray Carr <laughs> a lot about, you know, how they did this with Native Americans, take them from mm-hmm. their homes and re-educate them strip them of their language, their culture, their hair, their, like everything to make them fit into an American way of life. Um, as you're talking, do they go into, because the five poorest counties in this country are in Kentucky and they're 95 to 99% white. The poorest places in this country are white. Do they go into these homes and snatch these children out? Do they go into these homes and look into their cabinets and pull them into the foster care system? I'm just asking because it feels like historically this lines up with the chain gang, with prison, with all. And we we need to start to think differently and not just, well, of course, the child's going to have a better chance living with El Joy Williams and her teacher husband and in a beautiful home with the da 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 than with her mother when she just needs the resources, you know, um, can you speak to that? Either one of you. Exactly. I, no, I will. And, you know, that's something I'm always mindful of myself. Like even as we are uh, fostering is the difference between, you know, you can easily get in the mindset of I can provide a better life for this child. Right. Even as you are fostering or looking at, you know, adoption or whatever, being able to take them from a mother, it doesn't have to be just because you can provide what you perceive as better, meaning they'll, you know, have extracurricular activities and, you know, I can afford doing these extra things and my network of resources doesn't mean that they don't need to be with their parents. You know, like their parent can parent them as well. They may not have the resources, the network and all that stuff to engage your child in the way that you can, but that doesn't mean you deserve their, their child more than, you know, than, than they do. And, you know, to April's point in terms about the structures, and, and I'm thinking about this, Karen, in a lot through, um, you know, Brooklyn NAACP is about to enter our centennial year. And I'm thinking about, you know, what are some of the structural things that have been long-term structural problems in our communities? And like, what is, what is, the, what is the boundary? What is the, the, the barrier, I mean, for us addressing this issue? And, you know, I think it's something about employment or housing, right? For foster parents, for uh, children who are fostered by their birth parents, you know, when we had a birth parent who, you know, didn't have stability in housing, in order for her to get housing priority and get housing, because she had to, we, I had to, the kids had to leave me and we had to drive her to a shelter. And she had to go into the shelter with her kids to then prove that she was homeless, to then be able to provide housing in order for, right? Like this backwards thing. And again, it's like all of these systems are talking past each other, you know, sort of not uh, um, in coordination with each other. It's like this parent just needed stability in housing. She didn't need her child, her children taken away. She didn't need, right? She, she was capable to get a job, got a job during COVID. Right, like got a job, but didn't couldn't keep the job because 
you know, she would not have reliable health, I mean, re- reliable childcare. Oh. Right. So it's like, okay, so why not instead of the triage model is, which is I'm thinking about now, just as Brooklyn NAACP, like we're entering our centennial year, I'm thinking about centennial fellowships and centennial programs rather, you know, yeah, we'll have the gala, but I'm, I, I want to be like, how can we make concrete change in our communities? Well, same thing with, you know, it's like the triage model. I don't need to take our kids. I need to help her get, I need to help her with childcare and help her with, um, uh, housing and then that's and, and then she's good we'll check back in in six months make sure every, you know three months or whatever make sure she's good we can now move on to something else where someone is being a child is being abused or be you know like we can move on to other things but they treat everything the same so with that in mind i want to karen i want to answer your question about before you said you talked about like do does this happen to white families the the numbers for national adoption month just came out there are 122 children waiting to be adopted in foster care of that 122 22 are black african-american 22 are hispanic and 44 percent are white but if you look at population statistics that is an overrepresentation of black and brown people and an underrepresentation of white people so they do poor white kids, however you want to say it, do get removed from their families, but at a much lower rate. So we know why that is, right? So that's one thing. The other thing to think about, and I I want to say this because there are some systemic changes that are looking to address this. From the Children's Bureau, there's a grant granted to uh, Spalding for Children. It's called the Minority Professional Leadership Development Project. And it's a four, it's a multiple year grant. I don't know how many years it is, but it's, it's, it's addressing the problem of leadership in child welfare to say we need more leaders that look like the kids we're serving and they're they're putting fellow putting leaders currently in place today into fellowships to have them lead because these organizations if they're white-led continue to perfect perpetuate some of these systemic issues so there are some things that are hopeful and bright lights for me that that are being funded by the government that say this is a problem one of the one of the levers to pull to fix it is leadership that looks like the population that is overrepresented in the child welfare system. So there are some things that are happening, but it takes so much more at a higher level of engagement to truly address these things. You're talking about poverty. You're talking about housing instability, um, tax credits for children. But it's the mindset too has to shift that this family is just better because of this rate of you know rate of economics color of their skin we have to we have to shift that and that you know is a heavy weight well we're committed um and if you can drop in the chat the spalding um grant so we can tweet it out uh, because i know there's someone listening that would be this would be a perfect um space for them to to be in leadership and we need more of us you know which is why i i don't know how you do it Aljoy. you know you're the brooklyn you do the sunday civics you got you know the children you got miles you're like you know every time you're you're doing your robotics i mean your your drone you're over here doing crafts arts and crafts making reefs for christmas i mean how do you do all of the things well, I come from, I, you know, I explained this a lot. And I was like, there should be like a special on us um, uh, Gen Xers, right? Like I came from um, a family that they invested in us being well-rounded individuals and being able to do like explore all aspects of your interests. Like, you, you know, like, yes, you have something that you are interested in, passionate about and things like that, you know, but, you know, if math over here tickles your fancy go go do it like it's fine you know like it's fine and um it also i also was taught by teachers i remember this from miss triplet 
um, a teacher who told me, if you know a little bit about a lot of things and you know how to ask questions, you'll be able to get, a, get along in any room with anybody in any country, in any ethnicity, any you know, anything. Because even if you're in a room and you don't know about the thing, knowing how to ask questions, ask the right questions, will make you seem interesting, will make people want to you're talk not to you answering my you. You're not answering my question, Eljoy. How are you juggling all of these things? How? How? I just am. I don't, I look, I don't know. I mean, some things fall space. by the wayside sometimes. And then sometimes I'm up until like two in the morning and Miles yells at me. So. But in the midst of all of this, you decided to take in more children. Yes. Because <laughs> I, we can do more. We can do more. I mean, all of this requires community. And as you mentioned, you know, there are more people that uh, need to be shown that you know you don't need a lot you know to be in place in order to provide a stable loving environment you know for children <clears throat> and you need more young professionals you need more younger folks you need younger couples black couples <laughs> you know black individuals to be able to provide that space around the corner from us and you know our new home is a a, a friend of mine him and his husband they foster as well you know, and they have, you know, two little girls, right? And they are young as well. And like just creating this network of that we can provide support for community and um, not only provide support for the children, but we find ourselves because we have been fostering kids of younger adults. So all of the parents that we have trusted have been under the age of 25, right? they need support and stuff as well helping them navigate right some of them was just like oh i don't know how to get a copy of a birth certificate i don't i don't have how, how do i get access to this uh you know some of that and we have the benefit of some of that knowledge those of us who went to college and travel the world and be able to that why can't we provide that same resource and mentorship to our community you can't just talk about it and tweet about it and say people ought to do like what you're doing that's right. That's right. Uh, in April, I'd love for you to give us more resources, but let's go to the phones. 866-801-8255. Uh, we have some callers. Uh, Latanya in Nebraska. She has a comment, a question. Hey, Latanya. Hi, how are you? Awesome. Great. Um, you know, I, I actually, I'm in private practice um, and I've been in private practice for about five months as a, a clinical therapist here in Omaha, Nebraska. And one of the reasons that prompted me to want to go into private practice is because of some of the systemic situations that I see, um, not only in my community, but I mean, it's across the board, just listed in the you and your panelists. I wanted to just share some insight from what I see. Um, there's an increasingly number of older black and brown teens that are in foster care going into foster care. Um, what we call a 3A, meaning that the moms or the dads, if they're there or whomever, you know what, they dropped the ball. They weren't providing for their children. And it has been going on when we talk about neglect for years, but the parents have been able to just hide under the radar. And what's happened is when you get to when you get a when you get a young person the age of fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, who wants to take a teenager into foster care? 
Um, and that's been very challenging. And something else that I'm seeing too, the parents don't want to deal, excuse me, with their generational crazy. We have an issue in our community that we don't believe. I'm just saying just in general. Some of us do. Karen, I know you do. You you on task. You bring people that are on there. We do not believe in seeking mental health services. Therein is one of the problems, too, is one of the problems, because you uh, the, the mothers are perpetuating and, and, and just continuing on this, this cycle of just crazy. Well, I, I, I want us I want us to um, practice changing the language as well. You know, um, if we're going to be about that change, let's also, you know, challenge ourselves to be mindful um, of the trauma that all of us carry with us and the help that we all need. And, yeah, uh, as a community, we have been ver- really, you know, uh, not it's not been a f- forward thing that we do, but it's changing. It's changing rapidly, but it changes because we're also given space for it to change and calling people crazy is not ever going to help people uh, move into space of health. Uh, yes. April, you're agreeing. Yes. You too. Yeah, Joy. Okay. Yes. 100% hard, but, yeah. but absolutely need that, that softness and that, that grace given to those of us who do carry that and, and actions are very much, especially those that seem crazy, as we'd like to say, are usually rooted in tra- trauma, generational trauma, things that happen to us by others and all the things. So I'm with you 100%. Let's, uh, let's take Lisa and Callie. Uh, and thank you, Latanya, for the work that you're doing in Nebraska. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Karen. I love your show, and I've been thank listening you. for a while. Thank you. Um, I just want to comment. I'm a foster adopt mom. Um out here in California, we found a black agency that specialized in foster adopt. Um, and the experience was really positive. One of the things I really appreciated about the agency is they really prepared you for what you possibly could be dealing with after adopting um, adoption and provided ongoing support for us. My son is now 14. We adopted him when he was three and we went through a lot with him. Um, but you know, he has, he's doing well now, but it's taken a lot to get him to this point. And so, you know, to those parents who are thinking about this whole journey, I just would say, you know, really try and find an agency that understands the community because you will be more successful. At least my experience was the support I got from them. I would not have received from another agency. And I'm really happy to hear you having this conversation about foster adopt because I am a teacher as well. And so I see kids all the time who would really benefit from someone in our community taking them home and taking them in and giving them a home. Mm. So that's all I wanted to say and really appreciate you for having this topic today. Well, um, my pleasure. We need to do it more. Uh, Lisa, thank you for your call. Eljoy, before I let you go. Uh, If people are listening, you know, I know you got into the space as many through family. You're in it, you're staying in it because of necessity. What advice can you give to people who are starting, you know, who are thinking about it? There's so many people who, you know, want to have children and maybe fostering is a way to, you know, get that that, uh, desire to to mother and father uh, served through multiple children. What advice can you give people for how to get started in the best way to be successful? Well, you know, I, I say in the process, 
patience and love leads a long way. Um, anytime you do anything with children, what's important is consistency. You know, children want to see, um, and they can pick up very well. I think April mentioned this before. They know very well whether or not you care for them, whether or not you just in this to get an extra check, you know, or any of that. And so if you really care about community, we really care about children leading with patience and love, um, both for the uh, children and then possibly their parent as well. And being an advocate for them um, is, is really, really important. Their parent's not the enemy. Their parent is not the enemy. Their parent is not the enemy. It's like almost like, you know, people get divorced and then they trash talk the other parent. Like, let's stop. Let's stop doing that, too. Uh, the competing interests of adults that harm children. It's so ever present. And we know that what that looks like in divorce and we know what that looks like in adoption and foster care. And if that is the enemy, you internalize that as you are the enemy, you are bad and evil. If that's who you came from, then it will impact a child's identity to the highest level that, and then we'll, we'll, we'll worry about that when it happens and we don't need to, it doesn't have to be that way. No, children first. Uh, Eldre, I'm so grateful that you came on. We're going to keep having these conversations offline, online. I just wanted to give you your flowers, too, because this woman is doing the most, not just for our civil rights, but also for the cheering. And I love her. Eldre Williams, tune in 10 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Urban View Sunday Civics. I wanted to sit in this space. I didn't realize it is National Adoption Awareness Month, uh, but we have April Dunwitty, who is adopted. She was adopted. And, um, you know, I feel like... I, children, you know, just, I don't even want to say, I believe the children are our future, but I think, you know, we need to really, really, really pay attention to what we are feeding our children, what we are doing around our children and children, all the children. My mama grew up in Augusta, Georgia, where she lived uh, in a poor neighborhood where everybody had the license to chastise her because everybody, every child in that neighborhood belonged to everybody in that neighborhood. And until we get back to that, there's no hope for us. Every And I love what Eljoy is doing. She took in a family member, and now she's right. paying it forward and building a community where she is. Um, and I think we all can do. We all can do our part. So I thank you, April, for coming today. Well, thank you for centering on the, the fuller picture of uh, adoption in this country today, which is putting, you know, parents and those who have been adopted together. The one thing we should think about doing is bringing a mother of origin, a father of origin, a birth parent onto one segment it would be great to do that because we, we often don't hear the folks who don't get to parent their children for whatever reason, whether they volunteer relinquish voluntarily or they um, have their children removed from their care. Oftentimes they are way, way, way in the shadows. So to, to do this work and to readjust and recalibrate how we do it, we have to have everybody who is impacted at the seat of the table, right? And talking about it. So I think that's a that's an opportunity to, to bring in those folks who very often bravely share their experiences of not parenting their children for whatever reason. Thank you for that. Um, we also, uh, thank you, April, we tweeted out more resources and podcasts where people can uh, go to hear more. So go follow us at SXM Urban View and follow April at June in April on the Twitter. She's very proactive there. Let's go to John in Maryland. I want to take as many calls as possible. Hey, John. John. Oh, okay, let's go to James. From John to James in Delaware. Yeah, how you doing, Karen? First time caller. Uh, uh, listen, welcome. All the time. I, I, I really love <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But listen, I'm I'm not a adopt. I don't have adopted children, but 
like my son, he's back and forth in jail, and he has his, his, his two baby mamas are not. So to cut to the chase, we have them. I have one since he was three, and, and I have one since he was eight. They're, 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 they're 12 and, 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 and nine now. So I'm just saying, I grew up, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sickly sick baby. So I grew up in a time where that's what grandmas and they would do. My grandma, my grandmother, my, when my grandfather got sick, he had a a, a a hospital bed in the living room. That's what we do. You, you know what I mean? And I I I, I just love you, Karen. I don't even oh. know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but Listen, if, if, but but if we can do our little bit of part that we can do, then kudos to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, traditionally, he's right, you know, we always took care, and we still do, and, you know, very few of us pack our elderly, you know, our, 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 you know, our elders into nursing homes, and then we take care of them, Uh, we do what is Mm -hmm. necessary, and we tend to take care of, you know, this is not an indictment, this is like, can we do better? That's always the question. Can we do better? And can we see the designs of a system that really wants to demonize us and our parents and and our parenting and everything about us and put us in these categories? Uh, I cover child welfare at the Daily News uh, on the editorial page. And so I got to see up close going to family court, one of the most depressing beats of all time. My heart breaks being there and for hours listening to to condescending judges and dismissive, you know, uh, court workers and your, your, any child and parent in that system, it it doesn't honor you. It doesn't give you any dignity. So, you know, I, I want to, you know, provide a little here today and let's, you know, talk about it at least. Uh, Let's head over to Gigi and thank you, James. Welcome to the call and family Gigi in Atlanta. Hey. Yes. Hi. Hello, everyone. Hi, Karen. Hey, hey, hey. I'm at the supermarket. I okay. just caught me wrong time, but I wanted to um, have a question. Really, um, I I have always wanted to adopt, and uh, my husband and I we have two children of our own, and um, I think one of the biggest problem questions that we usually have is, you know, if we adopt any, you know, children from the foster care system. How will they, you know, because, you know, they've been abused and, you know, they have all these issues. And, I, you know, you hear this provide support for them, but we're afraid that will they pass along those type of abuse to your own children, to the other children in the home? Let's let's talk. Uh, I don't. Are the majority of kids abused? I don't, I don't think that is that the case? Well, look, abuse, neglect are factors in which children are removed from the care of their 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 parents of origin, right? So we know that to be true when, when children are removed um, from care. Whether they're abused, what the degree it's abuse, neglect, they're two they're two different things, right? Physical, emotional, psychological abuse can translate to some of the factors, trauma, and all the things that 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 create behaviors that need to be recognized by by support professionals and by families that take in children who have been through the system. That said, um, every child, I think, that is separated from family of origin experiences trauma and can have trauma behaviors that, that present, not in the same way, not in the same exact. So we do have to think about that idea. The research is there that says that to be true. And we're overrepresented in, 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 in addiction, overrepresented in attempts to suicide, overrepresent, overrepresented in um, not outcomes in education, uh, negative outcomes in education. So we know that foster and 
care and adoption does impact a child's life. That said, agencies that are doing their work and professionals that are focused on this can help a family and the children, most particularly, manage that trauma and be whole individuals that can be part of families and societies and not pass on any of that that they hold to other children in the family. But you have to keep a keen eye to it and you have to commit as a family with professional scaffolding to be able to care for that child in the way that it needs to be cared for. Professional scaffolding. I like that. So it's you're building on a foundation and giving that child, you know, um, we had, um, uh, I just got my Soma Calm lab cards, emotional EQ, you know, and, and really bringing a child into your home that may need some, some help in this area can help the family because I think regular, you know, people who are not adopted have a hard time navigating, um, you know, difficult emotions and it could help all of us to get into some sort of counseling on that. So thank you for your call, Gigi. Go ahead. And, and that's why the podcast is called What Adoption Can Teach the World. Because we want what we ask adoption and foster care parents to do at the highest level of engagement is what all parents should do. And if we do that at that level, there'll be less adoption and foster care. Mm-hmm. That's my theory. Um, we're going to talk about it again. April comes back. She's going to always come back. We're going to keep talking. And let me mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you so much, April. And y'all can reach out to her. June in April, the podcast is... Born in June, raised in April. We'll tweet out a link to that as well. She does an amazing job, and uh, you are saving a lot of our children, and I love you. Thank you for being here. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.